This may be a little scrappy this morning because I realized when I woke this morning that I hadn't been listening uh, to what God wanted me to say. Um, and um, verse 4 of the passage tells us that that's not pleasing to him. So um, let's pray before we, we go any further. This is the prayer that Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple. May God uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people according to each day's need so that the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. Lord, please may that be your purpose now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the passage is mercifully short. Uh, Isaiah 66 verses 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This week, the news reminded me about the Millennium Dome, a building of apparently exciting new construction, wonderful architectural materials, a great fanfare when it opened, but nobody quite knew what to do with it. Eventually, it was refurbished for sport of some kind, forgotten what sort, and then again reinvented just recently um, as a newly equipped state of the virus hospital. Lots of ventilators, but no patients. And that's not what the Church of God is supposed to be like. The temple in Isaiah's day was built for God's dwelling in mercy among men, where he might be approached by his people through the sacrifices made there for sin, the one place of worship that God had specified for the dwelling of his name in Deuteronomy 12. King David wanted to build a temple for God and started to assemble the materials, but God's response to that was to promise a house in the sense of lineage, um, descendant for his Messiah. And he told David that Solomon would build the material temple. David was to buy the land and erect an altar and offer prayer and sacrifice for his sin, which had led, oddly enough, to a plague. And this foreshadowed the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But this land he bought was a, a threshing floor, and it was to become a place of nourishment and a place of worship rather than of work. Of course, the house is built on Jesus, the foundation and cornerstone. But when Solomon started, he made alliances with Hiram, king of Tyre, uh, and that later led him to put images of other gods into the temple building. Compromise like that isn't going to be helpful or pleasing to God. And he used uh, conscripted labor, slaves, for the materials and for the building. These were the descendants of the 
um, Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Hivites who'd lived in the land. So it was built on exploitation of other people rather than to make God's glory known to them. But while he was building, the word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you're building, if you follow my decrees, carry out my regulations, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill the promise I gave to David your father, and I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people. But he didn't, and they didn't, and God did leave the temple and had it destroyed through the Babylonians. A promise to return and dwell among his people, fulfilled in Jesus, God incarnate, who lived exactly, physically, among his people for 33 years or so. Among the other things he did, entering and cleansing the temple and promising that his spirit would come and be in and with his people. I don't understand the pronouns in John 14 and 16. It's too complicated for me. You just have to think of it as a trinity again. But most of the people didn't follow his word or believe or be obedient. And so, he started his church avoiding those who wouldn't listen and ritual sacrifices which displease God. That's in the next bit of Isaiah 66. Instead, in Luke 24, Jesus opened his followers' minds to understand the scriptures in the light of his death and resurrection, telling them that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations and promising the spirit to clothe them with his power and to dwell in and among them. The word for uh, church in the New Testament is uh, ecclesia. I thought that was interesting. It's the word for the assembly of the city the citizens of the city of Athens, um, when they met to decide how to build their republic and make laws. So these are people in freedom, and they're certainly not slaves, and they're certainly not exploited. And they're all citizens of the same city, believing, in a sense, in the same God, same ideal and in relationship with each other, which is different. One Peter says that as you come to Jesus, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. I thought about that. It seems to be built on change. We, we, we thought about Peter's name being changed when he made his confession of Christ. Change seems to be a key here. And in chapter 65, the bit just before this part of Isaiah, which is a, a, a parallel image really to Revelation 21, the new heaven and the new earth, there's the description of the uh, 
wolf and the lamb feeding together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. So it's built, I think, the church on change, uh, a change of constitution, if any man's in Christ is a new creature, and also a change of, of habit. The wolf needs a new stomach, new nourishment, and the lamb needs courage, needs a new heart. So the church, I think, is built on change. And these are the characteristics that God says pleases him in, in building or in anything, I suppose. That we should be humble. It doesn't mean weak and flabby. Apart from Jesus, Moses is described as the most humble person in the Bible, a prophet, a strong, committed channel of God's law and grace and word and guidance and judgment. And yet a forgiven murderer meeting God day by day. He'd like us to be contrite. Knowing that we need to follow God's word, keeping short accounts with him when we go wrong. And not to cause damage to the rest of the building. The stones that the building's made of are changed too, not by compromise with Hiram, king of Tyre, or exploitation of other people, but changed from the inside and changed outside in our practice so that we can fit together. They're, they're stones that are shaped, they're not bricks that are cast out all the same, out of a mold. And these are humility and contriteness in spiritual terms. Alert and obedient to the Spirit of God and trembling at God's word and at the task, but not trembling in the face of opposition. Nehemiah 4, they were told not to be afraid and to have their spiritual armor and weapons in hand, knowing that they would be inadequate for God and for the task, and so being prayerful. Because the church is meant to be the opposite of the breakdown after the collapse in Genesis, where Cain and Abel fall out to the nth degree. Instead, we're supposed to be reconciled. That's the stones fitting together. Amen. Mm -hmm.